are listening to Inside Schizophrenia, hosted by Rachel Starr Withers, an advocate who lives openly with schizophrenia. We're talking to experts about all aspects of life with this condition. Welcome to the show. Welcome to Inside Schizophrenia, a Helpline Media podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Starr Withers, here with my great co-host, Gabe Howard. When dealing with the diagnosis of schizophrenia, many of us have come to accept that there is a stigma around the disorder. But what happens when the stigma is from the medical professionals who are supposed to be treating you, diagnosing you, and helping you? Mental health professionals can even turn away people with a schizophrenia diagnosis. When we've been turned away by a therapist, psychologist, what happens next? Where do we end up? Today, we're taking a look at schizophrenia stigma in the medical community. Joining us is Desiree Brown, a mental health counselor who has worked with various social work organizations. She currently works with Monarch that provides hope, promotes wellness, and empowers individuals and families impacted by mental illness, substance abuse, intellectual and developmental disabilities, and traumatic brain injury. It's worth noting, Rachel, that we've even had trouble booking guests on the show We've reached out to medical professionals and and we've asked them, do you want to be on a Healthline Media podcast? And they're all for it. They're really excited because you know Health, Healthline is the number one health website in the world. And then we tell them the topic. It's like schizophrenia and, and et cetera. And it's, it's, oh, we don't talk about schizophrenia or we don't know enough about schizophrenia. We're not comfortable you know, being in the schizophrenia field. We'd be happy to talk about X or Y or Z, but we stay away from schizophrenia. Now, obviously, we don't want people to come on the show and talk about things that they're uncomfortable with or that they're not experts in it. But we get this a lot. And I get it. See, the thing is, I, I expect stigma from the general population. So when we're doing an episode, for instance, about dating, yes, we had an incredibly hard time finding a guest. I was looking for a dating coach who could talk to us about schizophrenia and dating. And I had a very hard time. And thankfully, wonderful Dr. Ashley Snyder, who is a psychotherapist and life coach, jumped at the chance to be on our show. So make sure you check out that episode, which was Tips on Dating. And we've had some other ones. And our episode about traveling with schizophrenia was also difficult to find a guest. And we found Laura Mata, who is the editorial director of LonelyPlanet.com. So we've had some amazing guests. But I can see why people in those different industries who are talking about dating, we're talking about travel, might be hesitant about wanting to talk about schizophrenia in relation. But Gabe, when I reach out to somebody who is in the mental health field as a professional who many times works with people with serious mental disorders, and they tell me that they don't work with people with schizophrenia, that that really hits me hard. That it's, a, it's something that it's hard for me to accept because I'm like, well, how can you have stigma? You work in this industry. You have to come across people with schizophrenia in your day-to-day life. How, how do you turn them away? Like that, that's always shocking to me. I can see that because where else are you supposed to go? You're told that mental health professionals are the people who treat schizophrenia and then you get there and they're like, well, we treat them all but you. Mm-hmm. I imagine that has to hit a, a certain kind of way. And recently, Gabe, we we had this issue come up with searching for a guest for uh, an upcoming episode here. And it made me kind of look back in my own life. 
So Gabe, I have a question for you. How many times have you been turned down for treatment from a mental health professional, whether a therapist, psychologist, psychiatrist, due to your diagnosis of bipolar? I want to answer this as honestly as I can. So I want to be clear, just bipolar disorder, meaning will you see Gabe, he has bipolar, zero. However, I have been turned down by by therapists, psychologists, psychiatrists when they see that I'm not doing well. So Gabe is very, very sick. He needs help. And they'll say, oh, well, we can't see him. So when I'm most vulnerable, when I'm in most need of help, I'm too much trouble and I'm not the kind of patient that they're looking for. Just based on my diagnosis, not on them treating me and me getting worse, um, just based on my diagnosis of schizophrenia in my life, I've been turned down four times. And that's just you personally. Yes. Just, and that's like, I, I went through the intro, I mentioned, oh, and I have schizophrenia and it was, oh, and there's always like this moment where I see their eyes glaze over and it's like, oh no, I am, I am not qualified for this. And, and yeah, four times this has happened in my life, which I, I really didn't think that was weird <laughs> until our situation here on the show recently. And I started looking back over my life and I was like, wait a second, does this happen to other people? Do other people go to a therapist and say, yes, I'm struggling with depression and suicidal thoughts? And they're like, whoa, I can't see you. I mean, I was I, I, I was expecting something simple like dating. <laughs> I thought maybe you were struggling <laughs> with schoolwork or something. But whoa, whoa, I don't handle that. Like, I really thought, yeah, th this must be a normal occurrence, right? I want to make sure that the audience understands that obviously if you're not qualified to treat somebody, you shouldn't do it. But you often get into this loop where Gabe goes to the doctor. The doctor says, I don't treat schizophrenia. Try this person. Now they've, they've met the law because they've given the referral, but then you go to that doctor and that doctor of course says, oh, well, I don't treat schizophrenia either and on and on and on and on. So it's, it's, it's a minefield to navigate under the best of circumstances. And of course, when you're seeking out medical care, you're often not in the best of circumstances. The American Psychological Association has long held that psychologists should not discriminate and you kind of would be like, well, Rachel, isn't this kind of discriminating? They don't discriminate against race, religion, gender, sexual orientation, disability, which I feel there could be an argument made there under disability, age, or other characteristics. However, yes, it is permissible for a mental health professional to decline services if they reasonably believe that they cannot provide competent and safe service by professional standards. Also, other reasons you might be denied could be your insurance. <laughs> they just flat out don't take your insurance, so you have no money to pay them. That's a, that's a quick way to get denied. <laughs> and conflicts of interest. Let's say you know this person in your normal community, and they don't feel like they can adequately treat you because you and their mom are friends, etc. Those reasons. But I'm talking about just being turned away because I said I have a diagnosis of schizophrenia. When I reach out to a therapist, I'm not reaching out to them for them to prescribe medicine to me. I understand only a psychiatrist or nurse practitioners can do that. I'm reaching out for them to help me with my day-to-day -day life. And that's what's so hard for me to take is when they turn me down because of that. It's like, well, I don't deal with schizophrenia. I'm like, well, I don't really need you to help me deal with my hallucinations. I I'm not asking you to make them go away. I'm asking you to help me as I go to my part-time job. That that's what I need coping mechanisms with. That's what I need help in my day-to-day -day life. And it's hurtful 
to have them not even let you get to that point because all they heard was schizophrenia. Oh my gosh, I can't handle this girl. And I imagine it's difficult, Rachel, because you do live with schizophrenia, but of course you're also a human who lives on the planet. So you have all the same problems as everybody else. Maybe you're having relationship issues. Maybe you're having family issues. Maybe you're mad at your best friend. Maybe all of your kids left home. Maybe you're going through a divorce. Maybe you're not managing your money properly. All of the pressures of life are also present to you, but you don't have access or as easy access to a therapist because you also have schizophrenia. So this, of course, makes it more difficult for you to get help. And since we live in a world where the, the person with schizophrenia is often blamed for their own problem, it's worth noting to all of the listeners out there who are caregivers or who don't live with schizophrenia, when you're asking yourself, well, why won't my loved one just get better? Why won't they learn coping skills? Why won't they try harder? This access is largely denied or denied might be too strong of a word. I want to be really, really fair, but there are many, many barriers to get there and barriers that people who do not live with schizophrenia simply don't have. A statement that I found online from a clinic, and I do appreciate that they had this statement on their website. Um, as opposed to me going to their clinic thinking I'm going to get help and then being told this statement. But I, I want you to listen to this, Gabe, because it kind of drives home what we're saying. At the clinic, we want to be transparent about the services we provide. Since we do not have hospital privileges, we humbly realize that we cannot provide the care that certain clients deserve. It goes on to list what those who those certain clients might be. If any patient meets these criteria, we do not recommend them scheduling a meeting here with the clinic. Any previous psychiatric hospitalizations, current or previous psychosis, a diagnosis or possible diagnosis of schizophrenia. I mean, that's a mental health clinic. <laughs> I mean, it, it was a beautiful website. It was inpatient and outpatient, but... Wow, they they flat out say on their website that even a possible diagnosis of schizophrenia. So I mean, don't even have a diagnosis of schizophrenia, but if it's looking like this, maybe I'm sorry, we can't handle you. And I appreciate that at least they're upfront. But as someone with schizophrenia, that makes me think, wow, I must be really messed up that these people had to put a note on their website saying, don't even like try <laughs> to come and see us. We will turn you away. It's a hard thing to take. What I've realized the past few months is that this is something that most of us with schizophrenia have come across in our lives multiple times and will continue to happen, is that we'll be turned down for even just basic care of, hey, I need help with job skills. Whoa, wait. No, you need to see a psychiatrist. And I guarantee you going to a psychiatrist and telling them you need help with your job skills, they're not going to help you. That, they're going to be like, that's not what I do. I prescribe medication. And there's, of course, a shortage of psychiatrists. So aside from the fact that it's not necessarily their lane, it's also very difficult to get in to see a psychiatrist for their intended purpose. If you are somebody who is living with schizophrenia and you've got the whole world coming down on you saying, why won't you get better? And everywhere you turn, you're either being judged for not getting help or you're being told that you're too sick to get help. Rachel, I, I want to I wanna ask you, how does it feel? It's frustrating. 
And I think it's more frustrating the fact that I thought it was normal up until just this other month that I, I had just accepted that, oh, okay, this is a normal occurrence is you come across people who think, whoa, you're, you're too sick to help. And I, I just was kind of assuming this was a normal occurrence for people seeking help in the mental health area, not just for people with schizophrenia. Unfortunately, many of us with schizophrenia are labeled a high-risk psychiatric patient. And if you're like, well, Rachel, what exactly is high risk? Oh, it could be anything. (laughs) There is no set definition on what defines a high-risk psychiatric patient. It's going to be different to different organizations, to different professions. However, some of the common things that might have someone listed as high risk is suicidal or homicidal statements, making threats of violence, cutting or other self-injurious behaviors, delusional thinking, paranoia, experiencing hallucinations or disorientation, hearing voices, not being able to tell what is real. Do you notice that it went from violent to write into the symptoms of schizophrenia? Yes. It went from being, okay, this person, as a worker, I'm scared for my life. I'm scared they're making threats. They're homicidal to, oh, by the way, they're delusional to, I mean, delusional thinking, experiencing hallucinations, unable to tell what is real. Those are the classic hallmark signs of schizophrenia. To me, it's like they're basically saying people with schizophrenia. We, we can't go ahead and just spell it out. But no, people with schizophrenia and ones who we think are dangerous. That's got to be extraordinarily frustrating for people living with schizophrenia, for people who suspect that they might have schizophrenia. And of course, their loved ones who are trying to get help for people who live with or they suspect may have schizophrenia. And of course, all of this is happening in a mental health safety net or field that, that already has major, major, major gaps This just closes more doors and, of course, leaves people trying to manage this illness feel more ignored and more hopeless. They found that health professionals' perceptions of schizophrenia, depression, and substance abuse do not differ from the views held by the general population. And and I feel that most of us think, well, if you went to medical school, if you work in this environment, you, you should be enlightened, right? You should know that people with schizophrenia were not crazy killers on the loose. But the truth is that, yeah, they have stigma and beliefs that are incorrect, just like the general population. Among nursing professionals, different studies have found that they perceived individuals with mental illness as dangerous, unpredictable, and emotionally unstable. And I'm going to say, yeah, that that sounds exactly like the stigma we talk about on this show all the time from movies, from TV shows about people with schizophrenia being supposedly dangerous, unpredictable, and unstable. It's just the stereotype that people with severe mental disorders are dangerous. And unfortunately, in the medical community, that means that those of us who have this diagnosis, we're not going to get the same care that other people will. And even if we are getting care, I mean, can you imagine what it's like to have the nurse or the doctor treating you be afraid of you? Be, be on edge that thinking, oh my God, being like, oh no, this person could snap at, at any second here as I'm drawing their blood. I mean, it, it, even though I'm just coming in as, as Rachel here, they're seeing schizophrenic. 
they're perceiving you as a serial killer, somebody with psychosis, somebody who could be violent. They're they're falling 100% for a stereotype that is untrue. A couple of months ago, this, this very podcast, Inside Schizophrenia, did a topic on serial killers and schizophrenia. And we learned that the original stereotype was that schizophrenics were, well, frankly, docile and stupid. That was the belief that they couldn't achieve anything. They couldn't do anything, but they weren't dangerous. They were basically alone of clay. So somehow we managed to go from a, a quote unquote stupid lump of clay uh, all the way to sophisticated killer, serial killer uh, within just a, a few short decades. It's, it's a very interesting podcast and I recommend that you listen to it. And this isn't just about general people in the medical industry, but mental health professionals have shown to have a tendency to view people with serious mental illnesses more negatively than positively, characterizing them as manipulative, lacking in willpower, disturbing, <laughs> ineffective, and difficult to communicate with. They have found that psychiatrists many times have similar concerns about medications, and one of the studies indicated that many of the psychiatrists were reluctant to say that they would use antipsychotics themselves. Gabe, that's very telling to me. If you ask a doctor, well, would you use this medication that you're prescribing to your patients? Oh, God, no. <laughs> I'd be like, oh, okay, wait, what? <laughs> what? What does that mean? <laughs> like... Due to the side effects, due to you don't think it will work, I expect when a doctor prescribes me a medication, it's the exact same medication that they would put their mom on, that they would give to their child, that they themselves would take. I, I don't want them to give me the medication and be like, oh, yeah, but I would never take it. Like, well, why, why wouldn't you? What would you take? <laughs> And of course, if they wouldn't, you'd want to know the reason. This is what doctors are for. But if you talk to the doctors, it it gets pushed aside. It gets it gets slugged off. It, it it don't 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 worry about it. Just do what you're told. And let's rewind back for a second, Gabe, because we, we talked about the idea that a professional doesn't feel confident that they can accurately treat you, which I do appreciate. You know, if you come in with a disorder or whatnot, and they're like, you know, I've I've never helped anyone with this disorder. I don't feel competent in my ability to treat you. They did a study of over 365 medical and nursing students. They were all ages 18 to 24 years old, currently in school. And they found that testing their general knowledge of schizophrenia, that many of them still had discriminatory attitudes about recovery, about violence and dangerousness, and even social management of people with schizophrenia. However, the students were knowledgeable about the nature of schizophrenia, even though they themselves thought that they weren't. In other words, they had all of the answers. They were qualified. They knew the answers, and yet they still doubted people with schizophrenia, and they still doubted themselves being able to treat someone like that. And that's always been the issue with me when I go to therapists, when someone does turn me down for having schizophrenia, when someone says I'm not qualified to treat that, it's kind of like, well, wait, didn't you go, didn't you go to school? Did, did they not, was the schizophrenia class like a, an elective? Well, what does that mean? Like, I'm always confused by that because I, I feel like that's, isn't that what that degree on your, your wall means? If that's not what the degree on the wall means, where is the push to change it? 
I recognize that general practitioners should not be treating cancer, and that's why we have oncology. If we have realized that general mental health professionals or psychiatrists should not be treating schizophrenia because they do not feel qualified, fine. Where is the schizophrenia specialty? Who do you look for? We are told over and over again, Rachel lives with schizophrenia. She needs a a, a psychiatrist. She needs a psychologist. She needs a therapist. She needs mental health professionals. Yet we see on the website before Rachel's even made an appointment, they will not treat her, which begs the question, Rachel, who do you call? What happens? You know, if people with schizophrenia are reaching out for help and we're repeatedly refused or we're referred to people who we can't afford because many times they refer you upwards, meaning they refer you to a psychiatrist and whatnot who is far more expensive than a therapist, and you just flat out can't afford that person, where do we end up? Many of us, we end up finally with someone who can't turn us away. And when I looked back at all of my therapists, they've all been people who couldn't tell me no. My first ones were college. I went to the school guidance counselors there, and they have like, you know, the person that you go and you talk to. And two of them were amazing. Two of them um, at two different colleges were some of the best counselors I ever had. And then the place that I was at for many years that I loved a lot, it was a mental health center. And it was backed by a church. So it was state and church funded, and the majority of the people it treated were substance abuse with the opioid epidemic. And then I looked at the current place I'm going, who has a lot of government funding also. I'm like, wait a minute, all of the places where I have these counselors, they've all accepted me wonderfully, probably because they couldn't say no. (laughs) And part of it's sad. The other thing, I also find it amazing because I can tell you throughout All of my treatments, some of the best treatment I have gotten has been from counselors because they have been the ones to help me with the day-to-day life. The counselor I have right now, when I had my first meeting with her, I I flat out said, you know, yeah, and and I don't know if you noticed, I do have schizophrenia. I hope that's okay. And she goes, oh, well, I was excited. I'd never gotten (laughs) to work with someone with schizophrenia before. I'm pretty excited about this. And I I love that because that's usually not the reaction I get. That's usually not the, oh, this will be fun. It's, oh, dear Lord, I can't handle this. And and she said the opposite. She flat out admitted she'd never worked with someone with schizophrenia, but she was excited to finally have that opportunity. And I guarantee you, Gabe, if you were to interview her, she would be like, man, Rachel is so boring. <laughs> I was expecting some great hallucinations and stuff, but it's like Rachel needs help with day-to-day activities <laughs> it's, it's not interesting. <laughs> Rachel's issues with making it to her boxing class on time and socializing. These are these are not fun horror movie tropes. But that that's what's happening. So many of us end up getting help from different government or even religious type funded places. A lot of homelessness programs, because as people with schizophrenia, unfortunately, many of us do wind up without houses, without homes. And sometimes that's what it takes to finally be able to get help and to be part of certain programs. 
Rachel, you mentioned government or religious funded mental health centers, and, and you've mentioned homelessness programs. You, you've mentioned places that can't turn you away. And I, I'm glad that they're out there. I'm glad that they can't turn you away and have to provide care. But it's not really an empowering statement, is it, that you don't get to choose? You just have to land wherever they will take care of you. But uh, unfortunately, there's sort of an elephant in the room. When we talk about people who have to treat you that can't turn you away, state psychiatric hospitals, jails, and prisons, and really more jails and prisons who have become the de facto asylums since the closure of the asylums in the 80s, they are providing treatment for people with schizophrenia. But again, you're incarcerated at this point. You're committed. You're held against your will. This is arguably when things have gone the worst. What information do you have about that? State psychiatric hospitals do still exist. And for instance, if I'm having a psychotic episode and my parents call the police to come and have me committed, hopefully what happens is I'm able to go and get a bed at a psychiatric hospital. However, if there aren't any beds, multiple U.S. states have the person then wait in either the local jail or prison system until a bed is available. And since 2006, at least 13 people have died in Mississippi County jails awaiting mental illness or substance abuse treatment. So these are people, they didn't cause a crime. They're just there waiting for a spot to open up. Nine of the 13 killed themselves. And you think about, yeah, somebody having, somebody feeling suicidal and people trying to get them help and instead of giving them to a hospital, they're, they're placed in a cell and they're already suicidal. And then now no one's watching them, unfortunately, in many cases, because the jails aren't exactly <laughs> bursting with employees and people who are able to monitor you 24-7. It's, it, I want to say it, it's sad, obviously, but it's... It's beyond that, Gabe. You know the the idea that you you treat someone who is looking and needing help like they have committed a crime. I mean, if anything, it makes me not want to reach out for help if i'm I'm scared that you're going to treat me the same as if I had just tried to murder someone. And you already think I'm dangerous. We've already established that <laughs> the stigma around schizophrenia is already that I'm dangerous, and now now you're locking me in a cell. And I haven't done anything. This is a real reality for people who live with schizophrenia. And unfortunately, because it is rare, a lot of times the stigma makes people say, oh, well, they're paranoid. They're making this up. They're lying. And unfortunately, this allows the problem to persist and arguably get bigger. Gabe Howard here to tell you about the Inside Bipolar podcast from Healthline Media. He does the show with me, Dr. Nicole Washington, a board-certified psychiatrist. That's right. A guy living with bipolar and a psychiatrist team up to discuss living well with bipolar disorder. Listen now on your favorite podcast player or visit psychcentral.com IBP to learn more. Subscribe now so you don't miss out. And we're back discussing stigma in the medical community towards people living with schizophrenia. 
Throughout my life, I have got to meet some incredible people here through the podcast, through just different organizations that I've worked with. And one of them you wouldn't expect me to meet a lot of cool people at has been my boxing class. Big into my martial arts. And I go to my boxing class three nights a week. There is a wonderful person there named Desiree. And I The thing that attracted me to her right away was that when we started talking, she has done social work with the homeless, for children in need, for all these different groups. And I flat out was like, yay, I have schizophrenia. And we started talking about it. And she would share stories with me of people with severe mental disorders of all ages that she came across. She would light up when she told me these stories. She was so passionate, Gabe. And that just attracted me to her, to have somebody who is passionate about helping families who are suffering in many, many ways with severe mental illness. That that was incredible to me. The people who work in social work, they're they're not pulling in the millions of dollars. That this isn't, you know, the psychiatrist level of money. Like, you understand, these people, to me, are some of the realest heroes there are. And that is why I was excited to have her on the show. Well, Rachel, I'm excited to hear this interview. Let's go ahead and roll it now. I'm excited today to be talking with Desiree Brown, who is a counselor in mental health. Thank you so much for joining us, Desiree. Thank you for having me. And I have to tell our listeners, Desiree is a friend of mine from boxing class, so she's super tough. Oh, thank you. I try. So right off the bat, what attracted you to working in mental health? My desire to work in mental health was being able to help people. I believe if I can help one person a day, I have done something great. Learning different diagnoses, learning how to assist people in mental health has drawn me to it. I have been able to help people in all different populations from homeless, uh, from inpatient to outpatient, from children all the way to adults. I love what I do. You've worked with a lot of underprivileged populations, like the homeless and children in need, people who've went through traumatic situations. Yes. Why have you chosen to help these different communities of people? I don't believe a lot of them have the resources that they need. I think a lot of people that's in the profession that I'm in, not willing to help them and assist them, um, so to be a service to them, to provide them with a place to take a shower or to be able to give them food or to be able just to talk, to have a conversation. To me, that's what I was called to do. That's what I love to do. And I think being able to just help them with the most simplest thing in life is my reward for helping with the homeless population, mental health population. In general, how have you seen schizophrenia affect these different populations? That's a great question, Rachel. I have seen it ruin families. Um, I have seen people be separated from their original self. I have seen people deny their diagnosis. I have seen people in many, many episodes where Somebody try to jump for a roof, run in front of a car. I see it where their family lose hope and they just buy themselves. It's a real hard disease to manage sometimes. And it's a hard one to keep 
family life, if you don't have a good family support that can be able to help you navigate schizophrenia. I have seen it uh, destroyed kids where they don't want to admit that they have that diagnosis. I have seen it in all areas and all walks of life. And I would think with kids in these situations, it's it's scary to have a serious mental disorder in any situation, Absolutely. but especially a child who might be homeless or who's been taken away from their parents or who's in the yes. foster care system. Yes, because they just feel lonely, like they feel like the world just give up on them. And it's not something you choose to have, you know, unfortunately. And it does. It sucks. It makes them feel like sometimes people don't care. And it's something to fight every day and to be able to survive in society. It's a fight. It's a fight. And it's hard. When people in these situations seek help, where does mental health even fall on what to do? Because I mean, if someone is, they're homeless, they're hungry, like there's so many other needs, I would think, that would come before mental health. Absolutely. Because if I'm homeless, I'm trying to think about why I'm eating the next day or why I'm asleep or if I'm going to get underneath a rock. Or And then it's another sad part of it is, too, it's not that many places that can help. Sometimes the resources is not available to them if they're not getting a check every month or if they don't have Medicaid or Medicare. It's just not a lot of help sometimes out there. So you have to fight to find different resources to be able to help. Personally, if I was homeless, I'd be thinking about, you know, where I'm asleep and how I'm going to eat every day. I wouldn't be thinking about um, my mental health, but it is sad because so many of them have mental health and don't even know they have it. Or so many of them deal with so many other things that's in the world. I'm dealing with bulls on me every day. I don't think about going to the hospital and getting what I need or getting other resources there to help me. I focus on eating in shelter. What's one of the most important things that you've learned through this work? To treat people as people. That's the most important thing I have learned. Um, I don't care what your diagnosis is. I don't care what your statistic is. I don't care if you're black, blue, brown, or orange. Treating people like they are people and a human being. What do you think could be done to assist people with schizophrenia to get help sooner? One, I think doctors and hospitals have to do a better job of reaching out. I think within South Carolina and North Carolina, I think it would be good if we were just to have doctors and nurses on the street to do screening for people in the homeless population. I think that would help with kids. I think providing them with resources and helps in groups that be able to help them navigate schizophrenia would be awesome so they don't feel different or feel like nobody else is fighting this disease for them. You got to do a better job at not only going out there to reach them to provide resources for them, having an outcome as in places for them to live at, you know, going into the different shelters to and being able to help. We just let them sometimes fall through the cracks. And that's the sad part. They don't get the help they need because they don't have Medicaid. Like, who cares if you don't have Medicaid? But if I know something that you need, I could be able to help you and say, hey, you know what? I'm going to get you something to eat. Let's go to the hospital. Let's do screening. Let's see what's going on. Let doctors and nurses be able to follow up. You know, I think that'd be the front, too. And I think also learning a lot of natural things 
to help with schizophrenia as well. A lot of utilizing different coping skills, being able to form groups and being able to engage in ADLs and just being able to talk about it too. I think a lot of people don't talk about it or discuss it. There's also the problem that many mental health professionals do not want to, they don't want to work with homeless. That's true. They, they don't want to help the lowest rung of society. That is actually true. What, what can be done about that? Well, I, well, honestly, I think those people really honestly don't need jobs because <laughs> I think that's the hard part for me because so many people need help and so many people who are doctors and nurses and therapists and psychiatrists, they don't want to work with them all because of their persona of how they look or what they need. You have to get a lot of more people in the field that's willing to care and do the work. The psychiatrists and doctors in different populations, too, when you first get your degree, those should be the first people you should want to help. Do you think that's a type of stigma that many of the mental health professionals have towards people with serious mental disorders? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because either they don't want to or they're not going to. And they'd rather go to places and work in the office or places like the hospital or, you know, a lot of them don't even want to work for nonprofit organizations to be able to assist people with mental health diagnosis. It has to be a need to want to help. Do you think that more classes that they would have to take might break some of that stigma if they could learn about it? Or no, you think it's just ingrained in them? What can we do about the stigma that they have? <laughs> I think sometimes it's ingrained in them, but I think that would be awesome. I think it would be a lot of classes. You know, I think the media getting involved, being able to shine lights on different people. Because sometimes you don't see things in sewers really, really bad. But you have people that in the homeless population that really cries for help. You know, so it would be a good thing to be social media, good podcasts such as yours, as interviewing different people to get things out there as well, newspaper articles as well. Why do you think that some professionals avoid treating those with schizophrenia? A lot of them avoid it because they just don't want to. A lot of them avoid it because they don't understand it or don't want to understand it. Because nowadays you can go anywhere and work. And with schizophrenia and a, a lot of mental health population, they don't want those types of jobs. Also, a lot of those jobs don't pay a lot of money. And so they go other places and work where they can make more money. Their job is less demanding. Because I, I believe when you work with schizophrenia, you have to be invested. Um, and you have to be invested on all levels because I want to be able to help you. I want to be able to help your family. I want you to fit in this society just as everybody else. Because you got a diagnosis does not mean anything. Some people are not willing to go the extra mile to help and assist. A lot of these populations, when people think of them, they imagine a person on the street with like a little a little cup or they, you know, they imagine like the kid with the, the ratty, the ratty clothes, like wandering the street. Mm -hmm. But a lot of a lot of these people have access to cell phones nowadays. You're scraping a buy with the bare minimum. Mm -hmm. One of the things I love that you do is that you find those people via TikTok and you do your 
TikTok discussions? Yeah. Where you go live and you talk to different people? Can mm-hmm. you tell us about that? Like finding and, and what people feel open to share? Like that is uh that is so much fun. I love doing that. But what I do is like each day when I do TikTok live, I have a different conversation. One conversation may be checking in on your mental health battery today, or let's talk about past trauma, different things of that nature. So sometimes with just only talking and listening to music, you get different people to log in and they share their life story with you on the air with plenty of people watching, plenty of views, but it's because I think I make a safe place for them because I'm an open book myself. I would talk to a fish if I can. I love to talk. But being able to have a listening ear, being able to have a non-judgmental zone uh, to make people feel like there are people and that you are listening, I think that's one of the, the greatest gifts you can ever give somebody. Because people sometimes may never remember your name, but they always remember how you make them feel. And that's just something that I love doing. And I love hearing people be able to share their stories because your story can help somebody else. Or sometimes people don't know how you got through some of the trials and tribulations you had to go to. So just being a listening ear, being able to help, being able to provide resources if I have them, being able to just be a friend in general. The people that respond to your different TikTok lives, are they the type of people who are already going to a psychiatrist, see a therapist weekly? What what type of people are they? Um, actually, it's all the above, Rachel. Honestly, I have some people who already have a therapist or they've seen a therapist, but sometimes they're not just as comfortable yet to share their story. I have some people that gets on the air and nobody ever heard their story before. From the vibe and the conversation, they just begin just talking. It's just something that they want to get out their chest. So they look to being able to use like different coping skills or being able to have somebody just to talk to and just be a listener or they may be a bad day and they just want to talk. So it'd be, it'd be all sorts of people from all different walks of life, but it's just the open field just to be able to discuss and make it a safe place for them to be able to discuss what's going on. I think anyone who works in mental health is amazing. But especially when you're helping the people that aren't as glamorous, when you're doing stuff quietly, like on TikTok, when you're helping people who are homeless, when you're helping kids that have been in traumatic situations, anyone who does that, hands down, is a hero. And thank you so much, Desiree, for doing this for so many people with schizophrenia who are in these situations. Thank you for having me. And I love it. Like I said, it's something that I'm probably going to be doing the rest of my life. And I get my reward at the end to see people smile, to see people being able to just communicate. That's my reward. That's when my heart smiles. So thank you for having me. I really, really appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. How can our listeners learn more about you or find out about your TikToks? They can follow me on all social media, on TikTok, Instagram. My name is selfmade underscore queen. Then if they want to follow me on Facebook, they can follow me at Lillian Brown. It's my Facebook. And I'll be working. I'll be ready to listen and ready to help. I would say to everybody that's listening, 
with schizophrenia and mental health continue to fight, continue to be a voice, and continue to sustain your place in this thing called life. That's amazing. Thank you so much for speaking with us today, Desiree. Thank you. Well, Rachel, that is a great interview. I, I know I always say that, but it's always true. I, I really liked what she said about simple ways to connect. How did that resonate with you? I love it because so much of what we've been talking about, this stigma is when someone with schizophrenia is reaching out for help, the professional kind of freaks out. It's like, well, I don't know. I can't do all this stuff. I can't I can't get you into the hospital right away. I can't prescribe medicine right. You know, they they automatically think of the disasters. You know, what could happen being the worst possible thing. And and they don't even think about there's so many small ways that I can help this person. And I love that she does the TikToks. I love that it's just a way for her to connect with everyday people. Whether you have a serious mental disorder or you're struggling with something else, she's not saying she can get you into the hospital. She's not saying that she can help you with your medication. She's saying, I'm listening. And that's what I think we need more of. We need more therapists, counselors, psychologists who are willing to say, yeah, I'm I'm listening. I might not be able to help you with every part of your schizophrenia, because spoiler alert, no one can, but I am willing to help you with what I can. I am willing to help you with what I do feel comfortable. That's what's important is too often we, we focus on what we are uncomfortable with, completely ignoring all of the other stuff that we are comfortable with, that, hey, I can absolutely help you with coping mechanisms for working at your part-time job, for coping mechanisms with your new living arrangements, for helping you learn to save money, um, all of these different things. Rachel, we spent a lot of time on what's broken. What's the solution? Is there a fix in sight? Yes, because this has been noticed and there are people working to change this. And it starts early. It's pretty hard to change people who've been working in an industry for 20 years to change their views. But if you make it into the colleges, even the high schools, and start there building empathy towards people with mental disorders, that's what's important. If you're someone in medical school and you're looking towards working with a certain population, a great thing to do is start studying what type of medications are they on and what are the side effects. So if you're going to be working with people with schizophrenia, find out, okay, what type of medications are they on? Are they usually put on antipsychotics? Are they usually put on antidepressants? Do they just go on one? Or many times are they on multiple? What are the side effects? What does this person need help with? Not the big things, the hallucinations, the delusions. What are the little aspects of their life that they're struggling with? Special trainings, workshops can help professionals understand those small little nuances of the disorder. People who are already professionals working in different industries, promoting that patients with severe mental disorders actually connect with students and doctors so that they have time to meet someone in person. Unfortunately, with different medical degrees, Sometimes the only chance that they get to meet with someone with a severe mental disorder is in the emergency room when that person is in crisis. That's what they think schizophrenia is. 
They think it's that crisis mode 24-7. And yeah, that that can be scary. You could think, well, I, I can't handle that alone. I, I can't handle just that being on all me. But you're seeing a glimpse of that person. You're not seeing the recovery stages, the trying to live a normal life stages. And getting to have people who get to talk, honestly, Gabe, to people like you and me who aren't in the midst of a crisis helps them be like, oh, okay, well, this Rachel's not that messed up. She, she's not, I don't feel she's going to like attack me right away. She's talking about her coworkers. This is very boring, in fact. <laughs> you know, Like that helps them see, hey, people with schizophrenia are just people. If you work in any type of clinic or organization, a great thing to do is good supervision and letting your workers know they're not alone. Because if I feel as a therapist that I also have the other therapist across the hallway here also knows about schizophrenia, I can kind of go to her when I feel out of place and kind of making it more of a network, which is something we're always pushing here on the show is building your support network both with your friends and family, but also professionally. Having a therapist, a psychiatrist, a psychologist, a counselor that can help you with day-to-day living skills. All of that is important. Stigma around the diagnosis of schizophrenia is a constant issue that many people with schizophrenia and their loved ones face at home, at work, in their communities, and unfortunately, even when seeking medical help. To all the amazing listeners to our podcast, just being willing to listen to information about schizophrenia is helping break stigma. A special thank you to all of our listeners in the medical community and the students considering working in mental health. We appreciate you and hope that you can inspire others into a career in the mental health field. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Inside Schizophrenia, a Healthline Media podcast. Please like, share, subscribe, and rate our podcast. And we'll see you next time here on Inside Schizophrenia, a Healthline Media podcast. You've been listening to Inside Schizophrenia, a podcast from Psych Central and Healthline Media. Previous episodes can be found at psychcentral.com is or on your favorite podcast player. Your host, Rachel Starr Withers, can be found online at rachelstarlive.com co-host Gabe Howard can be found online at GabeHoward.com. Thank you, and we'll see you next time.